Hi everyone and welcome to the Poma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to uh, introduce a new guest today. Her name is Shirley Fessel. She is um, an author. She's written an amazing book, which has a, a really, really great title um, and has a really powerful story to share with us. Uh, the book is called Redemption from Biblical Battering which I think is an awesome title. So, um, yeah, welcome to the, so- sh- uh, to the show, Shirley. Thank you, James. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this with you because it's a really important subject that you're writing about and it's from your own experiences as well. So tell us a bit about your, your story. Um, well, I was raised Catholic and uh, I kind of decided early that wasn't accurate. And uh, so I met, uh, I was in a uh, uh, national volunteer program for education, and I met a Baptist minister, and he seemed to know the Bible extremely well. He was charismatic and uh, eloquent, and uh, so I thought this would be great. Uh, He seemed to have the same ideals for Christian service that I did, and uh, so off I went. Hmm. Yeah, but it didn't quite it didn't quite turn out the way you expected, did it? No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a bit about that. Uh, you know, the whole topic of religious abuse and uh, uh, mistreatment of women within the confines of the church or with ch- Christian leaders is now coming to the fore. But at that time, no one was talking about that. And they barely were beginning to talk about uh, domestic violence cycles. So I really had no information on how charming they could be. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because this was, when, when was this happening? Oh, this was uh, back in the 80s. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. nobody talked about it then. It wasn't wasn't really known about then. Well, uh, no, we kind of, we know all about it now, but it was, it just wasn't, wasn't people, wasn't even people's radar back in the 80s. Well, even now, it's hard to get pastors to understand you do have suffering women in your congregation. Mm. And uh, they really don't know what to do about it because the the paradigm is, well, if you've accepted Jesus, then all your problems are going to be solved if you just stick with Jesus. And um, they still are kind of reluctant. Um, I don't think they receive training in seminary. And uh, the statistics indicate that one in four church women are in a disruptive relationship. Wow. That's shocking, really. I mean, that it still that it still happens now and you know, twenty twenty we're now we're recording and it's that still happens. I mean that's just horrendous. Yes, the 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 uh, some of the belief systems uh you know emphasize the submission and obedience of the wife. And when you get that kind of doctrine, that causes a lot of turmoil for her. Yeah, and you learn during your, during your period, your time with you know, your experiences of abuse, because um, that's what happened. Um, and it was different kinds of abuse, I think, wasn't it? it was, well, I mean, what we what we kind of what, what was it? Was it spiritual abuse and physical abuse, or was it just physical abuse? No, it was every type of abuse, and uh, that was why it was hard to sort it out. 
if you know anything about the abuse cycle, it's the similar techniques that they use in concentration camps or brainwashing or other manipulative uh, mm. systems that create a doubt of yourself. And so as long as you're doubting yourself and in confusion, that leaves you open to be manipulated and used. Yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, and it's also what happened to you. Sally Compton has a quote, it's hard to fight an enemy whose outposts are in your head. And that's uh, what it is. Um, people say, why don't you just leave? Well, there's not a lot of support for you to leave, and there's not hardly any support for you to leave in the church. And uh, the people who say that rarely uh, extend a helping hand or know what to do, except, you know, what the pastors told me which was to obey more, pray more, love more, have faith, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so sad that that happens, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult, you know, especially as a man as well, like, hearing that, that men do that to women and, in a church, in a Christian atmosphere, that's, yeah, it, it's, it's always shocking to me. Um, but you learn through your experiences and, and getting out of this, escaping this. Um, you've written this book and which tells your story, but you you learn these uh, agreements, these seven agreements that um, that people make when that you can make when you're a victim of abuse. Um, so share, just share those, each of those with us and tell us a bit about your experience of those. Uh, well, again, uh, when you're confused, you really don't know what's happening. You don't trust yourself. And uh, I would call a hotline uh, and actually ask the lady, tell her what was going on, and then ask her, does this constitute abuse? That's how confused I was. And uh, she, she confirmed that, yes, this is abuse. Uh, and I was talking to a Christian at that time on the hotline, um, but uh, as I said, the pastors that I consulted said, you know, just to believe and pray more, and uh, he'll be a better husband if I'm a better wife. Uh, so I kept reading and studying, and I realized that um, what was happening was, as difficult as battering is to get out of, it's even more difficult if you think it's part of your faith or your relationship with God. And church women are, make ideal targets because they want to forgive, they want to love, they want to give second chances, they want to uh, take a lot of pride in being a good Christian wife. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I read uh, a book about verbal abuse, the categories of verbal abuse. And as I started to look at it, I realized that the Bible verses and the faith ideas were being used in those categories. That is, instead of providing comfort, they would be used to browbeat me or criticize me or judge me or uh, tell me I don't have a right to think the way I do. So that's when uh, I realized that my faith was being used against me. Uh, so one thing I'd like for the Christians to understand is that the abuse is really not about my faith, but the abuser knows that faith is very important to his target. And so he uses it to try to keep her in control. 
Mm. And that's so. Okay, I said. So the first the level was. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. I said. I said seven agreements. I meant seven confusions. <laughs> There's yes. seven confusions, aren't there? Yeah. So I realized I was being abused. Then the next question is, do I deserve this? Mm. And many women do wonder, do I deserve it? Have I failed somehow? Uh, you know, what is what is going on? What is my role in this? Uh, and that's where she will be careful to. Pray more, believe more, love more. Um, and so I had to work through, in my faith, uh, I had to mature my concept and my relationship with God. I always had a strong relationship with Christ. Um, but in the process of uh, clearing up these confusions, I gained an even stronger understanding of these concepts. Because as with any abstract concept, it can be thrown around and used to mean different things. <clears throat> so after I realized that there isn't anything that I read or knew about Jesus that would say I deserve this treatment, then mm. <clears throat> the third level was, but is it God's will somehow that I suffer this way? Uh, there's a verse about, you know, work out your salvation in fear and trembling and, yeah. Uh, you know, be willing to sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life. These kinds of verses are used to prevent a woman from thinking she has the freedom uh, to not comply. Wow, that's, I mean, it's amazing, really, that, 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 that this happens, you know, how using the Bible to control you, using, you know, saying, you know, should I? It's okay. Like, it's okay for me to suffer. Like, does God want me to suffer? It's like it's almost like men using God and using. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're using God, using the Bible to basically control women and abuse women. That's exactly. literally what they're that's doing. What it's kind of. It's, yeah. it's. It's. It's evil. You know. It's. It's. They're teaching that a man. That's his role, is to be head of the woman. Those kinds of teachings encourage that. Yeah. Um, so, but many women, even if they think it's not God's will as far as some redemption on her part, then she wonders, can I help him? I spent, I spent about uh, seven years blaming myself. And then I spent the next five years trying to get my husband to get treatment or to go to counseling or to get medicine or whatever it was that was wrong with him. Hmm. Uh, of course, he said he didn't need anything, that I was not allowed to correct him in any way or quote any verses or uh, I had to comply with whatever. And uh, he didn't need any help. It was just me and everyone else in the world. So... Um, I did find one, after about five years, I did find one pastor that he would listen to. And so I went to that pastor, and I, you know, he was the one that asked me, did I feel safe going home? And I've always been grateful to that pastor uh, for that, because then my husband knew there was another person out there who would be listened to who knew what was going on. And he assured me that this was a this was a deliberate choice on the part of my husband. It's not 
a matter of anger control because he can turn his anger on and off at will. Uh, it's not a matter of uh, uh, some trauma in childhood or uh, some defect or that he's working too hard or uh, a, a number of things that that batterers will say. But the bottom line is they do not want to be held accountable for their behavior. Everything is geared toward not being held accountable for their behavior. So once I learned that, um, then I had to ask myself, you know, would it, how, what's going to happen if I break my vow? You know, is God going to forgive me? And I had to really learn that the vow had already been broken. I did not take a vow to marry an abuser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. That's right. And so I yeah, the the vow had already been broken and um then I had to work on well how do I get my ducks in a row to get out because I understand many women leave several times. I only left three times and felt bad enough about that. But what happened was uh, I had a separate account and uh, with the money I was going to use, and he went and talked the teller into giving him the money. So at that time, we were living in Wichita, and um, I had a job that was going to start in August, but this was May, and so I came up to uh, Kansas City with my three children with what we had in the suitcase. And we lived basically that summer on god's loving people the charity that i received until i could start earning money but i didn't i didn't stay gone the other times because i did not have enough planning and so i would be forced back in for finances or whatever so uh in the book uh, i show the five tools that i used in order to strengthen me internally to be able to stay out because what happens is women in the church they don't want to go to shelters they are afraid that their faith won't be respected if they go to therapy and they struggle alone and uh, that makes them stay longer and then once they get out there tremendous pressures exerted on them to return well what you know he's been such a good dad what about the children you know what about the church uh, all these things. So uh, by doing the work in the book, you will become fortified inside to resist these pressures. And then the seventh level is how do I recover? So this, by, by clarifying these seven levels of confusion about abuse in the name of God, you are, you are uh, fortified to go ahead and live your life as Jesus would want you to live, uh, which is not in abuse. Mm, absolutely. So, so, so just, just go through those seven confusions, just kind of almost to list them so that people know what they are. Yes. Um, uh, uh, are, am I being abused? That's the confusion that you start out with. Something's wrong. I'm knocking myself out. Nothing is working. He says obey. I obey. I still get mistreated. I still get cursed, cursed at. I still get called names. Mm -hmm. I still get upbraided. So, you know, and in this, in my case, I was hit. 
And so, is this abuse? Yeah. And, and yes, it is abuse. So then the, third, the second level is, do I deserve it? Why? Is it something that I have done or shouldn't have done that would say that I deserve this treatment because the abuser will, of course, say you deserve it? Yeah. Uh, you know, who God loves, he chastises, those kinds of verses. Yeah. Uh, then the third level is, is it God's will? Right. Yeah. I am being abused. I don't deserve it. But is this somehow part of my soul path? Is it God's will somehow? Mm. And I did hear a woman the other day said that she'd rather be in hell now than burn in hell for eternity by divorcing. So uh, the divorce is a big, big problem that the churches don't want to seem to be encouraging divorce but a battering in the marriage is not a marital problem it's just occurring in the marriage yeah it, it's a it's an abusive situation um, so the fourth one yeah so marital counseling is not indicated here uh, that will not help because they know how to manipulate counselors so the fourth level then is, can I help him? Maybe I shouldn't be treated like this, but is there some way that I could help him because he's obviously not living as a Christian? And we're supposed to be having this faith walk together. And of course, then you have to realize he's not going to, you can't help him if he doesn't respect you. And he definitely doesn't respect you. So no, you can't help him. And then the fifth level is, should I get out? And this, again, is where the church is reluctant to advise divorce. But if you don't divorce, the legal ties remain, and that is used as an abuser, as an opening to continue to run roughshod over your life, especially if they're children. So the sixth level then is, after I decide that I, I really need to get out, this is you know not God's will that I live this way, uh, then I have to decide how can I get out, mm -hmm. and planning in that, and uh, then the seventh level is how do I recover? And women who have been battered are victims of what we call complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, there's more work on this now, but at the time they did they thought it was just veterans, but uh, more and more understanding of trauma has been studied since the Vietnam War, and they now recognize that the women are like prisoners in their home. But because it's just one woman in one house, people don't see or think that it's as traumatic as it is. Mm. So there's an intensive uh, period of therapy and recovery that the woman will have to go through. And of course, most of the time she's trying to to finance her life and the life of her children at the same time. So it's extremely challenging, uh, but there is more help out there now, I'm glad to say. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It is very good to know that there's more help and more support now than there ever has been uh, because because people need it. You know, you're right. It's a, it's a traumatic experience. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, not that I've ever experience it myself but the way you describe it and from all the people that have told me about their experiences uh, it's a traumatic experience and the traumatic experience you need to 
recover you need support you need therapy you need to talk it out you need to get healing you need people around you who love you you need to find a safe space um and and of course soldiers they have a camaraderie there's an understanding that the soldiers being mistreated in the in the concentration camp for the prisoner of war whereas the same understanding is not there for the woman suffering this alone in her home and there's so much shame around it uh, that she's reluctant to reach out. And so she is completely isolated uh, fighting this by herself. Uh, I had to realize the damage it was doing to my children. Many women are concerned that it will be hurtful to the children if they leave, but actually it's hurtful if they stay. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about the five tools that, that I Absolutely, use. yeah, I'd love to hear those, yeah. Uh, what really opened my eyes and helped me to start to back away a little bit was to get some detachment. And I did that by something called charging. And so in the book, you have the categories of verbal abuse. And uh, you write down, you keep track of the episodes and what's said. And you'll find my friend that I was talking with at the time we found that there was a consistent pattern. We could almost predict what the, our partners were going to be saying and doing. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> it was kind of scary. <laughs> but uh, you chart, you keep a record uh, for a week and uh, see then, is there a pattern to this? Like if I, if he comes home at Tuesdays on 5.30, and every Tuesday at 5.30, this is what happens what's going on, you know? Mm. Um, does he say the same thing every time uh, this happens? Or, or you know, what is, what is he saying? We're not even ready to start thinking about whether it's true or not. We just have to get the data, what I call the data, which is the behavior, what he says and does. And when you do that, the woman often is amazed at how much she's coping with. I mean, you know you're in trouble, but until you step back and actually look at it, it's like, oh, my God, mm. what's going on here? So by giving you, it gives you a little bit of feeling of control if you can write down what's happening and look at it, step back and look at it. And then the next thing I did was journaling. There, there are guidelines for journaling on, on that data that you get. Then in the book, you have topics for journaling to further explore. Well, is this true? Is it true that I'm a lazy housewife? You know, what is it about not having the bed made that makes me derelict? My ex-husband likes to call me derelict quite a bit. Wow. And uh, wow. so these slanders of these demoralizing words and behaviors that the abuser uses when you journal, you start to challenge them and examine them in your mind. You know, mm. and you see that this is not the response, his reactions and responses are not in proportion to what's actually going on. They're just, he manufactures them. Again, the bottom line don't hold me accountable for what I'm doing. I want to be free to do whatever I want, and I don't want you to say anything. Mm. And after that, the third tool is learning how to redefine or relabel 
what's going on. And here I had these study communication days and uh, uh, ways of dealing with abstractions, being able to pigeonhole abstractions and look at the ways they're being misused or thrown around in order to make me uh, compliant or to feel bad. You know, calling me faithless, calling me Jezebel, uh, calling me, you know, the whole of Babylon, all these things, uh, all these terms or these ideas of like faith and sacrifice and believing and all these are used without any uh, concrete meaning. Yeah. There's nothing specific tied to them so they can be used whenever he wants to. So being able to pin those down, like I said, what is it about, you know, my leaving the front door open that makes me a horrible person, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, then you're not ready to use assertive communication yet, but the fourth tool is learning assertive communication. And uh, you have to get the courage, either role-playing it with someone else practicing it in a mirror, writing it down in the journal. You have to become grounded in those assertive communication techniques before you start saying them aloud because he will escalate when you start doing that. Right. And the, the fifth tool are affirmations, things, messages you give yourself to strengthen yourself and counter the damaging and shameful messages that are pounded into you all the time. So this is, like I said, an interior fortification so that you can meet these challenges and uh, persist in claiming your dignified relationship with Christ. And these for people who are either in abusive relationships now and trying to get out, or people who've been in abusive relationships and are trying to recover. Is that right, the tools? Uh, these are the these are the tools to strengthen you in order to get out. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, um, and that's really good because because it, as you say, it takes a lot of courage to get out. And sometimes you, as as you as you talked about, people leave and then have to come back for different reasons. Or yeah, they come back because of money or or fear or any number of other reasons. So to have tools to allow you to get out and stay out is, so now they understand really more about traumatic bonding uh, the brain chemistry that changes that causes a person to feel like they're just lost without the abuser and mm. so uh, these interior fortifications help you fight those times when those come up uh, you because know, you may start saying well did I make the right choice you know maybe he'll be different this time uh, you know, give him another chance. Oh, Jesus said, forgive 70 times 70. All these things that will come up to weaken what you know in reality is true. But the brain chemistry through traumatic bonding, uh, if you know about it, and in the book I give some uh, discussion about that and how you just you have to realize it for what it is. It's a negative conditioning. That's right, because, yeah, it's still a connection, it's still bonding, but it's just an unhealthy one. 
and yes. it's a damaging yes. one ultimately. Um, yes. One man said to a friend, a lady that was in a support group, he said, don't you think God wants us to have a happy marriage? You know, and she said, yes, that's why we can't be married, because you won't, <laughs> you, won't <laughs> be, you know, do what you need to do to have that. Uh, but it's always going to be thrown on you, the woman. The responsibility is always going to be thrown on you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did this all play out in your own story? Did any of these tools kind of come in helpful for you? Well, that's what the workbook is. For many years, as I said, this is old. For many years, I was casting about how can I best convey this information. And I know there's more books out there now, but I didn't see anything which was a self-help workbook that the woman herself could use by herself on her own time, at her own pace, to work this out for herself. And so that's why the work, what's, how I got the workbook together. Because it's a very complex maze and it's not easy to sort out all the pressures and threads that are brought to bear. Uh, so the workbook provides a path out of the maze mm. in a manageable way that you can, as I said, if you don't want to go to a shelter or you don't have anybody to talk to, you know, this is here. You can you can read this yourself because I have a composite person named Marjorie. And Marjorie is based on my and other women's experiences. And so every chapter has a little bit of Marjorie's story and then some guiding questions and then some explanation of some ideas, and uh, then there'll be uh, exercises for you to do. Hmm. And so you can just go through it. You can start at the beginning, you can start in the middle, you can start wherever you are. But this is something for the individual woman to help her where she is. I think that's really, really needed. I think we need, we need as many of these kind of things as possible. <laughs> And I did wonder about, as you said, biblical battering, but uh, I found Christians for Biblical Equality, and they were using that term, where the Bible is used to basically psychologically beat up on somebody. Um, so that's why that I wanted to reach the women who are Bible-based women, Bible-believing women, uh, so they can see from the title, it's your path to faith-based freedom. You, we're not talking about abandoning your faith. We're talking about understanding that the abuser is misusing your faith against you. Mm, absolutely right. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, how did your experiences impact your own faith, your own relationship with Jesus and with God? Well, as I, as I said, concepts like faith and uh, humility and surrender, uh, these concepts changed for me. What they meant changed. For example, the, being humble is not the same as being humiliated. Hmm. <laughs> there are people who will say, well, you need to, you know, You'll be called prideful because you don't submit to humiliating attack, you know. 
So also the pride for, for women, their relationships are the most important thing in their life. They measure their success by their relationship. So, mm. so if, if she's thinking she's going to be rejected or abandoned, uh, that's very scary for a woman. Uh, and there's a pride there. And other women, other women will say, well, it wouldn't happen to me. I wouldn't have put up with it. Uh, what was wrong with her that she couldn't keep her man? You know, all these messages that are given to women that it, the relationship is on them. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, there's negative and positive pride. And I had to realize this. I had to, and one woman said, you know, this is, um, I just would be so ashamed if anybody found out. And I said, well, listen, do you believe that Jesus forgives you for your sins? And she said, yes. I said, then ask to be forgiven for breaking your vow and get out of there. <laughs> it's like there are options in your faith. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so and the irony you know, is that she's probably yeah. not breaking her vow at all. Because he already broke it, like you say, you mentioned before, like he already broke it. But the woman and society will make her responsibility to keep that going, no matter what he does, you see. Mm. So, I, you know, she says, oh, I never thought of that. And this woman, this man was almost psychotic, but uh, she said, oh, I can. I can ask God to forgive me. Mm. Because I have given 550% and it's not working, you know? And we do. We, we forget about how much God loves us. And we have to get back to standing in that love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how did, once you got out, how did you kind of rebuild your life and move forward with your life? Well, I kept reading and studying. I joined a support group. I took the kids to, we all went to family counseling. Mm -hmm. uh, it just takes a long, it, took, it, it has taken a long time. Plus the finances, you know, a lot of women are financially stressed. And uh, my husband controlled all the money. So it took about 10 years to get out of that. Um, I was fortunate that I had my education and I had a good job. But it still took about 10 years to climb out of the hole that we were in financially. Um, yeah. I'll say another, another idea um, uh, that I had to get clarity about was uh, Jesus' love. I'm, I was actually not doing God's will by staying. Mm. And I was praying and praying, you know, God help me, tell me what to do, blah, 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 blah. And nothing was happening. And then finally I said, either, either straighten this out or get me out of here. And that's when my prayer started getting answered. Because I wasn't supposed to try to make this work. It was not a godly relationship. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely, it wasn't. Um, yeah, and I'm really glad you got free. 
yes. <laughs> I'm really glad you did. And you know, I don't know if anyone else has ever said it to you, but it takes so much courage to get out of a relationship like that. And it's hard to see, you know, the residual mm. effects in your children, but mm. I have to say that all my children uh, made their way, they got therapy, and uh, even though some of them still have, like, anxiety disorders or whatever, they've made, they've graduated from college, they made good lives for themselves, and they've said over and over, you know, please, thank you, Mom, for getting us out of that. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's great. And you have such courage. You really do. You are you. a very courageous woman. Gretchen uh, Baskerville has come out with a book, The, the Life Saving Divorce, because it's the prohibition against divorce that is so such a hurdle for women. And uh, mm. so that she's addressing how it does save your life if you get out. Um, mm. Yeah. And just to get out and get free and get all that support and get financially free and you know and then write this book and you know have a have a positive impact on other people who've been through what you've been through is an amazing thing. It's really inspiring. There was a book I found, uh, "Static and Dynamic Views of Salvation." It's an old book, but he explained in there there's a there's a view of salvation that is. Uh, more life-giving than others. One view of salvation is that Christ is Christ saves you, but He's always outside of yourself. You're always a beggar. You're always sinful, and you're just you know living on spiritual welfare. I call it. <laughs> 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 you know, that's it really. It's not about you. It's about God and what He did for you. But the other type that's healthier is where it's Christ within the hope of glory, and you are imbued with the strength of God and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and Jesus said I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly and that's the view of salvation I think is more congruent with what we need in the scripture about Jesus Mm. I look when there's questions about Jesus I look at what he did because some of the words might not be his maybe they are but I look at if it's congruent with what he did and consistently, he was freeing the oppressed, healing the sick, you know, having compassion on people and wanting people to have a full life and not be under oppression. Mm. So that to me says that's what God wants for us. Yeah, absolutely. Freedom, true freedom. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for for sharing and I'm sure this will be really helpful for a lot of people um, so just one final thought I guess what's what's the one thing you'd want to say to somebody who is either trying to get free of an abusive relationship or has just got free of an abusive relationship to encourage them do not them. try to do it alone do not try to do it alone there is support out there I had a group of women in a Pentecostal faith pray for me. I had uh, Earl Roberts' wife wrote me a letter, personal letter, telling me I didn't have to stay. Uh, other women, uh, not in the church I was in, 
but other groups of women supported me and stayed with me. Uh, one librarian where I worked, she took us in three times. She did not give up on me. You know, she was going to be there until I could stay out. So don't, you cannot do it alone. You have to have support. Get community around you and get support. And claim, claim your dignity in God. Oh. Claim your dignity. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Shirley. It's, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing. Um, and the book is Redemption from Biblical Battering. It's on Amazon. You can get it now. So go and check that out. Um, and uh, thank you, Shirley. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening.